Good evening, everybody. Welcome inside the Villanova Basketball Report. It's live here on BLS. Bob Long is here in the studio. Kevin Long is next to me. Excited to be back for another Villanova Basketball Report. Kevin, this team looks a heck of a lot different than they did just a few weeks ago. And it's a Villanova team that, you know, I think as you start to move forward in this season, I think we knew they'd look a little bit different as the season went on. Certainly they look that way now. Five in a row, two big wins in the Big East over the last week, a big win against St. John's at home. That's a Red Storm team that had come in only losing one game at the time and was looking at that really that newcomer in the Big East that was going to manifest its talent and create a lot of trouble for teams. Certainly they did that for Villanova. We're going to get into that game in depth. And then they go on the road to Creighton, a game that was very difficult for Villanova to win. Creighton likes to shoot the lights out at home. They shoot the lights out against Villanova, generally speaking. And they beat Villanova in Omaha when Villanova was the number three team in the country last season. So the Cats able to rebound a big win against Creighton, five in a row, undefeated in Big East play. And all of a sudden, things are starting to look up. There's been a lot of differences in this team since some of their tough losses earlier in the year, and I think we can talk about a lot of those things tonight, but generally your takeaways. Yeah, so you said it first, uh, you know, this team is starting to develop the way that we thought they would, uh, you know, the way that Jay Wright always develops his team. Obviously, they lost four key players last year to the NBA, and it was a long road ahead for Villanova to come back from that. Um, and they've taken a longer road than I think we all thought they would. You know, guys like Javon Quinterly, who you thought would come in and step in and, and maybe be the starting point guard right away, was not that early for Villanova, but really has stepped up in the past couple of games, has earned himself some meaningful playing time, uh, really has inserted himself into a role on this team, and they will really need him down the stretch coming into the Big East tournament. And then you have a couple of guys who have fallen off the radar a little bit, a couple of guys who are not getting the time and are not playing as well. And uh, it looks like Jay Wright is really trying to put some emphasis on defense. So you see guys like you know Cole Swider and Demir Cosby-Roundtree losing some time. Uh, so Jay is really starting to find his rotation right now. And as they get more comfortable with each other and they understand their roles a little better, you're seeing this team play a lot better. This is, once again, we're here live in our Blue Bell studios for the Villanova Basketball Report. Bob Long, Kevin Long. Unfortunately, Kevin McLernan could not make it here tonight, but he does have some lines for us to pick as we get later into the show. But first things first, it's time for the opening tip here on the Villanova Basketball Report. We're going to pick one topic of conversation and really make that the body of the show. And tonight, Kevin... It's simply going to be how different this team is and come some of those key changes that we've seen over the last few weeks. We mentioned at the top of the show the five-game win streak that they're on right now. You know, there are, I think, three things that I'm going to focus on of real significance. The first is the evolving role of Phil Booth. The second is going to be the evolving role of the point guard position. So Phil's included in that but the new roles for Colin Gillespie and for J- and for Javon Quinterly. And the third thing I'm going to focus on is Demir Cosby Roundtree and him being not on the floor and kind of what that means and why that's the case. So let's start with Phil Booth's changed role. He's a guy that 
for the vast majority of the first half of the season, Villanova tried to put off the ball. It was Colin Gillespie's show as the true point guard, pass-first type guy, and when he put the ball in his hands, Gillespie, I thought, distributed it relatively well, and the offense ran well through him. Phil Booth did, I'll say, an okay job off the ball. I think he would tell you that he didn't have the best start to his season that, that you might expect. And I'm talking more from an efficiency standpoint because his points were there. What we've seen in the last few weeks, Kevin, is that Colin Gillespie has been taken off the ball a lot more. He'll still take it up the floor, and maybe we'll dribble a handoff to an Eric Paschal or a Phil Booth. But Villanova's becoming very ball-dominant by Phil Booth first, Eric Paschal second. And you saw in the Creighton game, it allowed Colin Gillespie to return to what his role really was last year in more limited action, but more of a spot-up shooter. When he receives the basketball, certainly he can and will drive to the hoop. But we saw great opportunities for him when Phil created separation in the defense or forced a help defense. Colin Gillespie being open for that extra pass on the wing on the perimeter, and he was knocking down shots all day against Creighton. That's a changed role for Colin Gillespie. I think that it's one over the course of his Villanova career. If he's going to be the best player he can be, he's going to have to continue to supplement with on-ball point guard roles and responsibilities. However... What he can do very effectively is spot up, shoot the basketball. We saw a lot more of that against Creighton. And a big part of it is because Phil Booth is much more ball-dominant now than he was a couple weeks ago. And one of Colin Gillespie's key weaknesses right now is his ability to drive to the basket. He's obviously not the most physically mature guy. He's, he's very small you know, compared to the rest of the team out there. Um, you know, he's not a great dribbler to the basket. Oftentimes you'll see him kind of going underneath the basket and coming back out around and maybe looking around, not finding anybody. I'm glad you said that because I think he is an okay driver to the basket. What he can't do is finish when he's down there or he'll elect not to shoot when he gets underneath the basket. Well, that's true. He just does not finish. I, I guess you're right in that sense. He will drive to the basket, but he will not finish, which is something that Phil Booth will do. Obviously, Eric Paschal will do. And more so than Colin Gillespie, we've seen Javon Quinterly do better than Colin Gillespie. So uh, I would rather see Javon Quinterly on the ball. And as for Colin Gillespie, he looks to be one of the best shooters, if not the best shooter on this team right now. You just get that feeling when he's got the ball and he's got an open shot, he's just not going to miss. You just you just feel confident in a guy like Colin Gillespie. So I think it's a role that really suits him well for this year, like you said. You know, next year without Phil Booth, uh, it'll be more of him and Javon Quinterly, and he will have plenty more opportunity to get on the ball. But right now, I don't see the, uh, any reason to take the ball out of Phil Booth's hands, certainly. And then my next guy on the ball is Javon Quinterly right now. I think he looks great. I think he looks – he's quick. He's quicker than Colin Gillespie. He's doing well distributing the ball right now. Uh, and I'm very comfortable with, with Javon Quinterly at the point and uh, leaving Colin Gillespie at the two guard for uh, the remainder of the year. That's very interesting. I think you're going to see a mix of Colin Gillespie still taking the ball up. It's not like he's never taking the ball up, but there's a difference between – Who's taking the ball up and who's the point guard, right? I mean, if he dribbles the ball across the timeline and hands it off to Phil Booth and then Phil Booth operates for the next 15 seconds, Phil Booth is the point guard. Right, and I think they have a lot of design plays for Phil Booth where they have a guy like Colin Gillespie taking the ball up to set him up for something. Uh, But, yeah, in terms of main guys on the ball, you're talking about Phil Booth 
you know, Eric Pascal and Javon Quinterly. Yeah, and I think what Jay Wright has seen over the past few months, and he's known this for a while, but he never really, I would say he never had the opportunity to put it into place in the past. Phil Booth is a guy that probably operates best when, you know, he's taking the ball off the dribble. He's a good spot-up shooter because he's a darn good shooter, but he's one of those I'm going to create my own shot type of guys, and he can get into a rhythm that way. Why did Jay Wright never have the opportunity to do that in the past? Because Phil Booth was your sixth or your seventh option on an absolutely unbelievable basketball team. Which, as a quick aside, can we talk about how good this team was last year? I think we're now realizing Phil had trouble at times really cracking the, you know, being a key playmaker on that team. He would crack the the starting lineup from time to time, and and he would be a guy off the, the bench in other situations. But, again, he's very legitimately your sixth option last year. Yeah, and you got, you know, Eric Paschal and Phil Booth probably right up there for potential Big East player of the year this year and and they were, you know, Eric Paschal was your your fifth starter, your final starter and Phil Booth your your first guy, well, like a second guy second off guy. the bench. Yeah. Really behind Dante DiVincenzo. So, uh yeah, I mean an incredibly deep team last year and then we saw it as a run through the tournament really did not see any challengers of the you know the West Virginia game was close at times and Texas Tech was close at times but really you know no uh, no challengers in that tournament last year. Yeah, it was one of the great college basketball teams of all time. That Villanova team, without a doubt, for the way they ran through the tournament, the way they were right at the top all year long. But we did our show, and there were times like that Creighton game on the road where. You know, we weren't sure if the team could defend at a high level, and certainly we've seen struggles with that with this particular team. But back to the Phil Booth point. He's a guy that, as he has the ball, he's better with the ball in his hands with 20 seconds, with 18 seconds left on the shot clock, uh, than he is with, with eight. Not to say that he can't create his own shot because he can, but he can get to work earlier in the shot clock, create the space, and either take the shot or find somebody else who's open. He's better at creating those mismatches defensively and committing help from that secondary defender than Colin Gillespie is. And it was something that, if you're asking me, I didn't see as a positive for this team as Villanova was playing in that St. John's game or even that Providence game. But if you look at what Phil Booth has done, it's actually very interesting. Since the Paul game where he went three for nine, Kyle, or I should say uh, Phil Booth now has gone you know just a shade under 50% or better in each of these last three games. Seven for 16 against Providence for 23 points. Eight for 16 for 23 points against St. John's. And then nine for 14, 28 points against Creighton. And it has to be said, in that game against St. John's, the difficulty of shots that he was taking was absolutely unbelievable to the point where we're begging him not to throw him up. What are you doing? Okay, through the cylinder, let's move on. But that's kind of Phil Booth's game, love him or hate him. Eric Pascal is having the same type of success from beyond the three-point line. He's improved, and he's continuing to take shots at the end of the shot clock. He's developed a very nice turn and fade away from the baseline from about 12 to 15 feet. Eric Paschal and Phil Booth taking difficult shots should be something that Villanova fans need to get used to because, like it or not, that's the offense this year, and it's a credit to Phil and Eric Paschal for being able to do that. It's also a little bit of an indictment of the other guys on the floor. Nobody's going to mistake this as the most efficient offense for the rest of the year for this team. It may just be their best option, and I'll tell you this, and I know you want to hop in. 
Villanova's going to lose a game they shouldn't because Eric Paschal and Phil Booth are going to go cold. And that's just the best offensive option that they have right now, but somebody's going to make them go cold, and they're going to lose a game that they shouldn't at some point this year. Yeah, so obviously you and I were sitting next to each other at this game uh, for St. John's on uh, uh, Tuesday last week, and I can't remember a shot where either of us felt comfortable with Phil Booth (laughs) taking the ball. Uh, every shot was just, no, no, no. Okay. All right. I don't understand that, but it went in. Uh, but then he just consistently did it. He, he kept hitting those shots and, uh, you took the words right out of my mouth. They're going to lose a game by not hitting, by going cold, not being able to hit these threes. We've seen it year after year with these Villanova teams. They tend to live and die by the three, but last year you had five or six three-point shooters and you can generally find somebody who's hot you know at the the game the final four game against Kansas it was Eric Paschal was hot and the the final game uh against Michigan it was Dante DiVincenzo that was hot and he you know he obviously rolled that into a first round pick and, and great for him but uh you know, right now with Phil Booth and Eric Paschal, you know, Colin Gillespie's getting in on the action. You know, you need to find out who's going to be that hot shooter. But, you know, with only maybe three reliable guys right now, you're going to end up inevitably have someone go cold and you're going to end up losing some games. So that's a little bit concerning, you know, the lack of an inside game, especially with Demir Cosby Roundtree not getting a whole lot of time. He's really the only guy on this team right now who has some interior skills other than Eric Pascal. Eric Pascal does very well into the hoop, but you know, he, he's sort of a, a stretch four. he finds himself out in the arc very often. So uh, it's a little concerning this, the lack of an interior game from this team, uh, the lack of shooters around. You know, we thought guys like Cremo and Swider would step up as an additional option. If you know you you have a guy like Phil or Eric who has a bad game, those guys have not really shown up this year. Javon Quinterly was supposed to have a better shot, and you know it seems like that's coming along, and I see that progressing well into February and March, hopefully. Uh, but yeah, this team is, is living and dying by the three right now and living and dying by difficult shots. You know, last year you had so many good shooters around. You eventually found someone who was open for a good shot. The shots, especially Phil is taking, but even Eric and Colin at times are not good shots. And it's really amazing the rate at which they're shooting right now. And I do not think it's sustainable for the next couple of months. They are not high percentage shots. That is for sure. And the only point I'd make about the offense, about not having the interior presence in some ways, and especially last year, with Omari Spellman as being that stretch, I mean, not even a stretch four, a five, they could shoot the three. That allowed Villanova to run the offense where they spaced the floor completely. They allowed room for the drive and or could get guys to bait at the three-point line, defenders that is, and then back cut them to the hole. And that just spaced the floor so well. So the only thing about Demir Cosby Roundtree and not having him in there, I don't know that that kills you from not having him from an inside presence perspective for for scoring the basketball. For rebounding, he's showed his ability to be a very adroit rebounder. And I think not having him in there offensively, that's kind of where it can affect him. But with the ball in his hands, you know, he's kind of hopeless, unfortunately, at the moment. The one thing about DCR that... I thought would be a great discussion is defensively. So against Creighton, Crumple, their big seven-footer, was having a field day inside throughout the first half to the point where I'm thinking, where is Demir Cosby Roundtree? Was he ruled out of this game? Now, of course, he didn't play a ton against St. John's, and he's had issues with playing time recently, but 
again, you're getting absolutely worked inside, and you put Cole Swider into the game before Demir Cosby Roundtree, which my guess would be that's more of a defensive substitution. Again, Swider a better offensive player, but what you needed at the time was somebody to stop stop Crumple, and you put Cole Swider into the game. With that said, at about the time I'm really starting to wonder where Cosby Roundtree is and if he's hurt, he checks into the game, plays a short period of time. He's a better defender on Crumple than Jermaine Samuel was, for, was, for example, than Sadiq Bey was. But clearly there's something there. Cosby Roundtree, last year the big thing with Roundtree is that he struggled defensively with assignments and with switches. And his play on at the top of the key for high ball screens was absolutely atrocious, and Jay was forced to sit him down because teams were high ball screening Villanova to death last year. And you're not seeing that quite as much this year. The defense is a little bit different. Frankly, some of the opponents are running slightly different offenses. But Villanova continues to be beaten at times by the high ball screen, and that's always been a struggle. Demir Cosby Roundtree, I don't know if he's taken that next step yet. He's uh, not quite the physical player that you'd want on the front court. But I think that they're going to need him, right or wrong, whether he's physical enough or not. He's the one guy that can go in and really defend the opposing team's big man. Eric Paschal has the brawn, not quite the height, and has a propensity to foul. And you need him on the floor for offensive minutes. So that's going to be a concern. Interior defense is really the big thing for Villanova defensively, amongst other things, that I think is a concern going forward. That and on the offensive side, as we mentioned, the fact that they're taking a lot of low percentage shots on a game-to-game basis and expecting their supremely talented players to go make them. Right. And, uh, you know, at at the heart of this issue right now is that we didn't expect Omari Spellman to leave this year. They were already down a big man, you know, guys who are not easy to find. You don't find Omari Spellman's on the street. And, and now, you know, you're down to your next guy and he's underperforming. So now we're down, you know, Demir Cosby Roundtree, and now we're left scrambling for, you know, Cole Swiders and uh, Sadiq Bays to cover their big man, the other big man. So, uh, you know, that's something that doesn't seem sustainable at this point. Neither of those guys have really proven themselves on defense. You know, Jermaine Samuels, the same thing. He's he's done slightly better on defense, I would say, than Bay and Swider, but, you know, he's shown um, – you know, a tendency to foul and and not be able to cover the big man. Uh, so they're really struggling right now finding that guy who can cover a big man. And, you know, it's, it's going to come back to bite them. And it reminds me of the uh, 2017 team who lost to Wisconsin. You know, we were missing Omari Spellman that year, too. We didn't have... Due to a bogus NCAA right. ruling. Yep, absolutely. So, uh, you know, that that's going to be a struggle for this team, and it's going to probably be their fatality in the end if it's not for uh you know a phil booth goes cold or, or something like that at the end of the year covering you know playing any team with a big man you know there's no way that uh villanova beats a kansas with a, a healthy udoka azabuki you know there's well i think he's done for the season now is but he done for the season but conceptually though yes another con- team with a quality big right man. or you know back to 2017 villanova does not beat wisconsin and nigel hayes you know there's just no way uh so I think that's going to be a huge struggle for them. Uh, Jay needs to find a way to get Demir back in the rotation. Demir needs to pick it up on defense. And, you know, obviously he's not going to be your offensive threat, but if he can lock down that big man for you, he's absolutely worth starting mm-hmm. in these games. All that said, Villanova 4 0, undefeated in the Big East, uh, two games ahead of everyone not named Marquette. 
it could be worse. It, it's really unbelievable how this league is shaping up and how Villanova continues to win the close games. You know, they won a close one against DePaul where they trailed for a, a vast majority of that game. They were up big on Providence and let them almost come back and win that game. And then they were down big to St. John's, hit a ton of huge shots and executed better at the end. And then Creighton, Creighton outplays Villanova in the first half. And then Villanova, I thought, played their best half of basketball offensively all year long. Defense, they came along. I think Creighton fought and scrapped really hard. I didn't find the defense on a possession-by-possession basis that atrocious. And and no, unlike our Penn show, I'm not going to go possession-by-possession every possession of the second half. I like to think that that'll be a one-time thing. But they played probably their most complete half of basketball combo, offensively and defensively. I just think that Creighton was hitting some good shots as well, and it was just a well-played half by by two teams that, although Creighton is 10-7, and they have NCAA tournament talent. Whether Mm -hmm. they can manifest that over the course of the year, I'm not sure, the Blue Jays. But Villanova, 4-0, marching right through the Big East, and two big games coming up next week, Xavier and Butler – We'll talk a little bit about the Xavier game tonight, but Butler, we're going to have be very fortunate to have Derek Gerberich from Stathouse Analytics on with us next week. He's going to tell us about his newest venture. It's really, really cool uh, to put a technical term to it. He is unbelievably smart when it comes to the game of basketball. He was a manager with Penn State University and used some of his skills, both from a knowledge of the game perspective and from a technical and IT perspective, to start this this new business venture and he's putting stuff out there with advanced analytics that is just unbelievable tells a great story so we're going to have Derek on to talk about his venture and then more specifically to also preview Villanova versus Butler so that's going to be a lot of fun Um, but before we move on to those two games anything more you want to talk about personnel wise Um, well I was actually going to go back to the Creighton game because you were talking about it a little bit um, and I completely agree we were just talking before the show that you know this was their best half of basketball in the second half against Creighton a little bit shaky to start you know came into that really slow um, picked it up towards the end of the first half went on to have a great second half it seemed like a turning point for this team Uh, you know I think it was a big turning point for Javon Quinterly as well which was another key turning point for this team um, you know, as we said before, we need Javon Quinterly. We, as in Villanova, need Javon Quinterly to play in order to go anywhere in into the tournament. You know, I think they can uh, compete in the Big East, but in order to be, you know, back to the top in the Big East, we need Javon Quinterly to be playing and uh, playing at his best. Obviously, uh, you know, I think you're going to highlight shortly here that his defense needs to improve. Absolutely, no doubt about it. But his offense has come a long way. Uh, he looked a lot better. Uh, I was more comfortable with the shots that Phil was taking in that Creighton game. Agreed. Uh, I thought they were not as ridiculous as the St. John's shots that he was taking. And they went in at a better clip, to give him credit. So. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. And I just think having Javon Quinterly out there takes up more attention to the defense. It spreads the floor a little bit, gives everyone else a little bit of space, and all of a sudden you you know, you know don't have Phil and Colin and Eric pressing and – you know, putting up shots that they don't need to. It just spaces the floor a little bit. Uh, you know, you get guys like Sadiq Bay and Jermaine Samuels starting to find a, their role a little bit, and, and everyone's just kind of finding themselves a little bit. So it, it just felt like a turning point for this team. You know, you, you certainly never take Creighton lightly any year. It's a team that's caused problems for Villanova in the past, even during their best seasons. 
Uh, you know, I think we all remember when uh, Dougie McBuckets came into Wells Fargo and took it to uh, Villanova, and then they also did this in their uh, in their hometown in Omaha that year as well. So you uh, remember the other guy? Uh the other oh. Yeah, I cannot do. remember his name. That's big Ethan Roggy, baby. Yes. The Rock Dog was all over it that night. He was unbelievable. And they'd hit nine threes before the under 12 timeout or something mm-hmm. ridiculous like that. Don't fact check me on that one. But yes, Ethan Roggy. Yeah, so impressive win for Villanova. Uh, you know, I think Villanova fans should be feeling a lot better about this team. They're, they're starting to find their roles. Uh, it, it felt like a turning point for this team. Um, you know, they're going to lose some games that they shouldn't, but I think that this team is showing right now that they are still the team to beat in the big East. Okay. Fair enough. I don't know if I agree with that yet. Is Villanova at the top of the standings in the big East? Yes, they are. I think there's a team in Milwaukee, Wisconsin right now that could easily be the team to beat in the big East in Marquette. And certainly we're going to have to pay the piper if you're a Villanova fan, uh, at some point and take down Marquette in the Bradley Center, which is going to be very difficult. Listen, when it comes to Javon Quinterly, and you mentioned it, Kevin, in, in your last uh, set of statements there, he has a chance to be a really big factor for this Villanova team, but his defense is just not good enough. And I know you said that I'd say it, but he's just not good enough defensively right now. I'm going to break down on the whiteboard in just a few minutes on our V's and O's segment how on three consecutive decisions or possessions, he – he made just the wrong decision. One was a mental mistake, one was a physical mistake, and then one was just being soft. And, and he did something where, you know, it's a guy that you need to make a better play, period, end of story. He knew it at the moment of truth. He made a decision to exit the play, and, and it's something that's completely unacceptable. Again, true freshman, he'll figure it out, but – there are high stakes in these Big East basketball games. There are tournament implications and seeding implications, and you can't make three straight plays like the ones that I'm going to show on Javon Quinterly. The other guy I'm going to talk about is Cole Swider. He didn't have much of an opportunity, but what he showed me was a little bit of softness. And I'm not saying he's a soft player or a soft individual, but what I saw on specific defensive possessions was softness and something that he can't possibly do. It's the reason he was yanked. He didn't see a lot of time. Yes, the three-point shot hasn't found the home yet for Cole Swider, but that's not the issue. It's the fact that he can't defend either, and that's going to really be the calling card for this program as it goes on. Who's going to be able to defend? Because at this point, unless someone clearly asserts themselves as the third scorer, Villanova has their two, and no one else is stepping up as the third. So if you're not Eric Pascal or you're not Phil Booth, Either get out of the way or start defending. And unfortunately, that's the way Villanova's got to deal with it here. Yeah. Uh, so I didn't know you were coming back to me there. I thought you were <laughs> going to the break. Um, yeah, absolutely. I <laughs> completely agree with you there, Bob. Um, yeah, no, Eric Pascal and Phil Booth have been and running this team right now. You know, I, I think you can make the argument that Colin Gillespie has earned himself a spot. Um, you know, obviously he needs to play good defense as well, but, uh, I, I would say he's their third scorer right now. You know, he's the other guy that's getting 30 plus minutes a game. Um, I think John Quinterly is going to start to cut into that. Um, and the other thing with Javon Quinterly is, you know, 
he's young. Obviously, he's a freshman, and he's just starting to see some success. And something that you saw over and over again when he was making those mistakes on defense, it came right after a good play on offense. So I'm wondering if maybe he's he's thinking too much about what he's doing on offense. He's too focused on that. Uh, you know, he's he's getting too high on himself after he's make, made a great play, which is understandable as a freshman who's had some struggles. Uh, hmm. But he needs to get his head right. He needs to make sure that his head is back on defense and, you know, with anything that you do, you have a short-term rem- memory, whether it's good, bad, or indifferent. You need to focus on the next play because the next play is the most important play, and that's something that he's going to start to understand as he develops and, and uh, you know, grows with this team um, and moving forward in the next couple of years. Last guy to mention before we go to break is Joe Cremo, kind of the elephant in the room here, a guy that was brought in as a grad transfer from the University of Albany and a guy that was expected to really be a key contributor for this team. And for a time he was, and he's hit big shots. He hit big shots against Temple, against St. Joe's, helped them to win those two games. He's made some solid defensive contributions at times, probably a step slow at times, but the effort has never been doubted with Joe Cremo. He's just not hitting shots right now, and as a result, he's not getting a lot of time. I think the other way to work himself on the court, of course, is going to be that defense, but the guards, Villanova's flush with guards right now, especially as Quinterly gets more time. That's going to eat away from Joe Cremo, even though they don't play the exact same role, and you know why? Because, frankly, if you put Javon Quinterly on the ball and you take Colin Gillespie off, now Gillespie's playing a position more similar to what Joe Cremo is. He's more versatile in that he's a better ball handler. And right now, Colin Gillespie's a better shooter than Joe Cremo. And it might just be generally speaking. So Javon Quinterly's rise, even though it's not the same position as Joe Cremo, combined with the fact that he's in a little bit of a shooting slump, is the reason why Cremo's not getting as much time I like to think that I'm bullish that he can get back into the lineup and all he's got to do is hit a few threes, get hot, and Jay's going to find a way to get him on the floor. And I don't think his effort has ever been questioned. So that is something that I think will continue to develop as the season goes along. But it's worth mentioning, Joe Cremo, we talked about all the changes in roles. Cremo's role has changed significantly as well. Yeah, and it's not unheard of to have Jay Wright, you know, playing three, four guards in an offense. I think you're going to start to see Javon and Colin and Phil Booth playing a lot together, which, uh, you with know, with Pascal then and maybe Sadiq, Sadiq type of- or Jermaine Samuels. But yeah, if you, you know, you have three guys out there at once, I think you're going to start to see, you know, a Joe Cremo sneak in there. I, I don't think it's a, a, a big deal to be able to space the floor a little bit, but you're not going to see. Gillespie and Booth out a lot, you know, and, and, you know, they'll probably vary at at times. They'll be, uh, you know, probably won't be on the floor at the same time together, but uh, Joe Cremo will have to find his niches when uh, either Collins taking a rest or Phil's taking a rest uh, because I think you're going to start to see, and we have started to see three guards out there at the same time. You know, sure. I, I would love to see more Javon, Colin and Phil Booth out there on the floor at the same time. Um, but having another guy to space the floor, it just helps out guys like Eric Pascal and Sadiq Bay, you know, find their way maybe uh, into the middle, you know, maybe driving back corner. Um, I think Joe Cremo has struggled with on the ball. Uh, he's tried to drive a couple times and really has not been successful in doing that. He just needs to, to find that role, you know, spot up somewhere, uh, you know, find a kick out when someone else is driving and just find the open uh, – lane for himself um, because he's really not 
been able to have a whole lot of success on the ball so far this year. Yeah, there was one game against Temple where he did have that success, and the rest hasn't quite been as convincing when he's been dribbling the basketball and driving to the hole trying to create a shot. But uh, it was a good start here, Kev, the opening tip. Uh, We're going to take a break and come back on the other side. We're going to talk about two things, the change in the offensive philosophy and how it's running through Phil Booth and why it's working. And two, we are going to talk about Javon Quinterly defensively. We'll throw Cole Swider into the mix as well. We'll say freshman generally, the struggle, but we'll focus on Quinterly, why he needs to improve significantly, and uh, how that's going to be a deterrent and a constraint from a playing time perspective for JQ. So we'll be right back on the other side. You're watching the Villanova Basketball Report. It's live here on BLS. Bob Long, Kevin Long in our Bluebell Studios, and we'll be back next from the whiteboard. Welcome back inside the Villanova Basketball Report. It's time for V's and O's here as we take to the whiteboard and discuss something that happened in the Villanova Basketball Week that was good, bad, and different. And this week we're going to give you a little bit of both. Let's start with the good. Villanova has changed its offensive mindset entirely. And let's take it back to about three weeks ago where Colin Gillespie was the primary ball handler for this Villanova team. And He'd take the ball up. Phil Booth would be over here with the floor spaced. Eric Pascal could be anywhere from there to running the baseline and being over here. He can take the ball off the dribble so well, and he was playing off the ball for the vast majority of the year. Maybe it was Joe Cremo that was over here. Unfortunately for him, Javon Quinterly was over here on the bench, and Villanova was operating with Colin Gillespie as the guy primarily running the show. Demir Cosby Roundtree was getting more time, and this was a very common lineup that you'd see, perhaps taking out a guy like Cremo and putting in Sadiq Bay in his place. So that was kind of the lineup that Villanova was running out there. Colin Gillespie able to get through to the basket and really would create opportunities off the dribble when he got right here. Instead of going up to the hoop, he'd kick it out to one of these guys. You know, He'd feed Demir Cosby Roundtree, and that worked, we'll say, okay with Colin Gillespie running the show for Villanova. What we've seen over the last few weeks and what I think Jay kind of knew but now is – Uh, starting to realize is a little bit more efficient, which is a little counterintuitive, is Colin Gillespie certainly can still bring the basketball up the floor, but it's going to be Phil Booth over here coming up the floor and taking a handoff right around here as Colin overlaps. So now they've kind of switched spots. Phil Booth is now going to start the offense with about 20 seconds left on the shot clock right about here. Right about here, and Colin Gillespie's going to be over here on one of the wings. Eric Pascal's still going to be over this way. Uh, Quinterly's seeing more time. Maybe he's over here, and then Sadiq Bey does a great job to run the baseline. That's kind of one of the constants that we're going to see. So now Phil Booth guarded by somebody on the other team, usually their best defender from a guard perspective. And what Phil's been able to do is beat this guy off the dribble or at the very least shake him to be able to step back and hit a three, usually a very difficult-looking shot, or can get to the basket, finish strong off the hoop, or draw a second defender, find a guy like Eric Paschal, find a guy like Sadiq Bey cutting to the hole, and it's been Phil Booth running the show. And what's interestingly uh, 
uh, concept here is that the assists per game have not gone down while Phil Booth has been in this type of position. So although Phil Booth is not a pass-first guy, Villanova is still creating assists through the use of this offense. And frankly, what you're seeing is Phil Booth being the guy being tasked to take a guy off the dribble or take a tough shot at the end of the shot clock. But Phil, with the ball in his hands early, creates issues for opposing defenders. Booth here dribbling is going to force not just this defender, but perhaps a big man to come up and try to guard. Perhaps another guy from the wing to start to pinch. And all of a sudden, this creates floor spacing for Booth to do whatever with it that he needs to do in order to create the best possession for the Villanova Wildcats. In most cases, what that means is the ball is going up. And you're seeing a stark increase in Phil Booth's shot attempts per game. I mean, the first the game right before Big East play started, he had six field goal attempts, then nine, then 16, then 16, and then 14 against Creighton, but a very efficient nine for 14 in those games. His role is changing, and it's affected Villanova for the better thus far. I'd say there's more high-difficulty shots, but they have the right guy taking them. All right, I mentioned Javon Quinterly. Now on the defensive side of the guy of the ball, maybe the the good followed by let's say the the not so good here. Quinterly is a guy who I think still has a lot to learn in terms of his defensive alignment. So Creighton has the ball up here, ball handler guarded by Phil Booth, and Villanova was mixing up defenses between zone and man to man all afternoon. On this particular situation, it was man-to-man defense, and Creighton had the floor spread. Guy here, guy here, guy here, and a guy in here. Javon Quinterly is guarding this guy. And Quinterly, quite simply, is ball watching. And so as the ball comes over this way, this guy a back cut because Creighton had spaced the ball so well and because Quinterly, frankly, had no idea what was going on. Bounce pass here, easy layup. That's one possession, and it's completely unacceptable defense, not something that Jay's going to allow. Next possession is the one that I really have the biggest problem with. Villanova misses a shot on this end of the floor. Creighton comes down the floor here, and Quinterly is back. Sets up shop right here as the ball is taken into the middle. There's another guy running this way. Ball is passed here. He's coming right at Quinterly, right at Quinterly. Quinterly is outside the restricted area. And Quinterly sidesteps it. Quite simply, sidesteps it. This guy was about to run through him. So this guy finishes the layout for the Blue Jays. And Quinterly is over here now. And he kind of feebly does one of these. Trying to, you know, assume it was a walk or try to get that call. It wasn't a walk, Javon Quinterly. What it was was a soft defensive play and something that's completely unacceptable. It's why people don't like, gosh, what was that catcher's name, the Phillies catcher? I want to say Sal Fasano, but that wasn't it. The guy that moved out of the way. I, I should have done my research better. But anyways, um, Rod Barajas, that's who it was. It was a Rod Barajas play by Javon Quinterly. Unacceptable. Third possession. This is all in a row, by the way, in the first half. Quinterly is over here, and I, I want to say it was Cremo or Phil Booth, but uh, Quinterly in, and Booth, are, let's just say it's Quinterly and Booth, 
And these guys switch. One guy pops out here. The other guy floats back here. So now Phil Booth is going to follow this guy. Quinterly doesn't switch. Easy catch, shot, and bucket because Javon Quinterly possibly his head was out of the play from the last two possessions but had no concept of team defense there and how best to switch. That's three consecutive possessions where Quinterly gave up easy buckets against Creighton. And so you want to want to know why he didn't play as much in the second half. That's why Villanova couldn't afford to give up easy possessions defensively. And you saw the way that Creighton shot in the second half as is. Final thing I want to talk about here tonight on the whiteboard is Cole Swider. Swider was guarding uh, Crumple for Creighton. And here's Cole Swider inside. It was a run down the floor, kind of in transition. The ball made its way to the corner, and they enter it into Crumple. As Crumple catches, Swider has n- almost has no idea where the ball is. Faces him, then turns his back so that Crumple has the ball with his back to the basket, and Swider has his back to Crumple's back. No idea what he was doing there. He got completely lost, and then Crumple backs him down with one power dribble and hits the shot. Swider's having some trouble here with this Villanova team, and I've said it a lot with this kid. He really has an opportunity to be one of the great shooters in this program if all goes well. He's got a sweet stroke. He's got a quick release. He's got great length to shoot over the top of smaller defenders, and he has an affinity for doing so. So far, though, at Villanova, everything seems a little bit rushed. The game is too quick for him, and I just think he's a little bit too soft at the moment for Big East basketball. You know, that's what Shackleton can do for these guys in the strength and weight training program and what's going to need to happen for Cole Swider. But I've kind of abridged my expectations for him this year. I don't know that he's going to be a strong contributor at all this season until he increases his physicality. That's one thing that Sadiq Bey, we talked a lot about his struggles defensively during the Penn game, but one thing he does not lack is the physicality to compete at this level. Villanova asked him to guard the other team's big man, and whether he can do it effectively or not, he's battling the whole way and is making things difficult. I'm not seeing that out of Swider yet, and as a true freshman, that's okay. He's got time, but it's really a struggle. And you're kind of seeing issues amongst each of the freshmen. Quinterly, It's just his head doesn't seem to be in every defensive play. There was a soft move there by him on this side, backing away from a driver. Swider, I think, is a little bit soft. And then Bay just has trouble with assignments at times. And going back to that Penn game, that was his worst defensive performance. I give Penn credit for the complexity that they ran as well from an offensive set perspective. But I mentioned some good, some bad. That's what we do here on V's and O's. Appreciate everybody being with us, and uh, we'll take you back to the studio after these messages. Welcome back inside our Bluebell Studios to the Villanova Basketball Report. Bob Long, Kevin Long. Kevin, first thoughts on on that V's and O's report there. Well, my my first thought, no question, is how did you just work Rod Barajas (laughs) into a V's and O's segment? I mean, I wish I could say that we had some kind of side bet going on, like, hey, I bet you can't do this. You can't get Rob Barajas and Reviews and But that was completely unprovoked and very impressive. So uh, well done. Uh, I hardly remember that that guy played for the Phillies, and uh, you just came up with that on the spot. You but, know you know that play I'm talking about? 
I do know the play you're talking about now, but I, I would have never remembered it had you not said something. <laughs> so, you know it wasn't real because if I had planned something, I would have come up with the name right away and never would have disrespected the name Sal Fasano like that. Yeah, oh, absolutely. How dare I? I, I was going to say, I could not believe you disrespected Sal Fasano. But uh, anyway, water same, under the bridge. Same, you know, relative era of Phillies catchers. Yeah, you know, a fairly large catcher during that <laughs> era in the 2000s. I get it. <laughs> I uh, see the resemblance. I see but, the resemblance. But uh, we do have another fun segment here, and this is really your segment, Kev. You've taken real ownership of this, and we appreciate it. So it's time for... Cats in the wild, the wild cats who have left the halls of Villanova University. All right. Thank you, Bob. Uh, And our cat in the wild this week is a guy that, you know, some of you may not know. He's still playing and he's still around in the United States, actually not playing in the NBA per se, but is playing in the G League. And that is Daniel Ochefu. Daniel Ochefu is the the center for our 2016 national championship team, uh, a key contributor for that team. Uh, he really did a lot. He, he held down the post down low uh, before Omari Spellman ever uh, fulfilled that role. So he has had 16 starts so far in 20 games for the Stockton Kings, a G League affiliate of the Sacramento Kings. Uh, he has had 12.5 points per game, uh, 8.7 rebounds per game, 1.4 blocks per game in 23 minutes per game. So, you know, a guy that started off with the Wizards, uh, you know, I believe he was drafted in the second round, uh, you know, kind of struggled in his first couple of years, never found a role, uh, you know, found himself out on the streets in the off season, uh, found a home uh, with the Sacramento Kings uh, on their G League affiliate team. Uh, and he's starting to find his way a little bit. So, you know, I'm hoping to see Daniel Ochefu continue to have some success, find his way onto an upstart Sacramento Kings team that uh, is looking better and better with each v- each year. We all remember that uh, trade with the Sixers that really sent them uh, spiraling into, you know, a few years of... Oblivion. <laughs> yeah. I, I couldn't think of the right words, so thank you. But, uh, yeah, they, they certainly struggled for a few years, but... Uh, an upstart team and and hopefully Daniel finds his way onto the active roster at some point, but uh, having a good year right now down in the G league. So shout out to Daniel Ochefu here from the Villanova basketball report and shout out to Dave on Facebook commenting live mopping skills of Daniel Ochefu. He said they were unmatched. Maybe this team doesn't win a national championship if he doesn't mop that spot. I mean, the foresight to see that, I mean, you just don't see that uh, very very often from Division One basketball, man. Just the, He really uh, took matters into his own hands. Didn't like the way that kid was mopping the floor. That's I right. love it, Daniel. Take it into your own hands. Take it into your own hands. He and Ryan Archidiakono, the two captains on that team, and Jay Wright still talks about the intelligence of both of those guys and the fact that they really spearheaded that program to where it is right now. And, of course, there were guys before them, but they – scaled the mountain they were the ones that got to the top first and as amazing as last year's ncaa tournament run was and frankly it was more convincing especially in the national championship game uh, those two guys i mean especially the way that that national championship was won will always have that allure in villanova basketball history and it's great to see that he's having success at the next level the other thing by the way is that daniel ochefu is still very uh, visible on social media and had commented, kind of came to Javon Quinterly's defense 
after the whole incident after the pen game where he went to was it Instagram or Snapchat or Instagram Instagram yep. shows you how much I know and uh, and made the comment about his second choice and and Daniel you know went on there and was talking about hey you know if it was him uh, he, one just leave the kid alone he's he's a 19 year old kid trying to find his way but he was saying how you know. After only only after this much time do we even get our phones back? We hand them all over before the game even starts, and we don't get them back until we're all changed and ready to go. He was providing some perspective there, and of course, is always there to trash talk some of his current teammates, uh, but uh, collegiate opponents. So he's a fun follow on Twitter as well. Yeah, absolutely. I constantly see him commenting on tweets and Instagram posts from some of the newer guys and I look at them like doing the math in my head like wait okay Jermaine Samuels no they never crossed paths and like they seem like their best buds on social media so great to see Daniel Chefu always active with the current Villanova guys and a, a big advocate for Villanova basketball there it is good stuff all right well done on that one so it's time for our next segment which is the Pick'em the Long Brothers Pick'em sponsored by Kevin McClernand um, but uh, Kevin McClernand unfortunately is not here so what we're going to do is go through some of the games that Kevin McLernan picked out for us for this week. He either threw a line on it if there wasn't a line or gave us the line. He's been pretty good about this, though. So let's jump right in. Texas at Kansas. The Kansas Jayhawks are six-and-a-half-point favorites, kind of found their footing in recent weeks. And uh, Texas, with some pretty impressive games of themselves, uh, did they finish off that game against Texas Tech this weekend? They did not. They did not. They ended up losing that game. I think it was 68-62. Okay. So, uh, obviously a close game. I don't know if you want to go first or if you want me to just – Your call. You can go ahead. All right. So, um, so Kevin gave us a line. I don't know if you said it. Kansas yep. minus 6.5 um, at Kansas versus Texas. You know, Texas uh, obviously kept that game close like we talked about, but it was it was at home. Um, a six-point loss. You know, I, I think Kansas and Texas Tech are fairly evenly matched teams. Uh, with this one being at home, uh, I'm going to give the edge to Kansas even with the six-and-a-half points. I think Kansas wins this one big, real big, like 15 to 20 points. Uh, Texas is a good basketball team. I'm still not convinced of their ability to do it consistently enough. Kansas starting to find themselves, blowing out Baylor. Um I think that's the way that game finished up, at least. The first half was pretty embarrassing. Um, but uh, I do think this team's starting to find themselves a little bit here. Uh, the Arizona State loss, I think, woke them up a bit. And some of their non-conference struggles, even though they didn't lose those games, they've learned a little bit about themselves. Jayhawks win big. The next one, Virginia Tech plus 2.5 at Virginia. Now, this is a, a Virginia team that ended up blowing out Clemson, but it was far from impressive. I'm still going to go Virginia because, I mean, less than three points. That, that's almost a pick em. That's saying on a neutral floor that it's a pick em game. I don't see it that way. I love Buzz. I think Virginia Tech's very good. But I think Virginia finds a way to win this basketball game, and I think they'll win it by about ten points when all is said and done. Yeah, I agree with you, Bob. I don't think this is enough points for Virginia at home. I, I think they already have an edge to start with. Um, you know, I don't think this is enough points for Virginia Tech to sneak this one out. Uh, Virginia Tech just had two close games with Georgia Tech and Boston College this week. Uh, so they're obviously showing some struggles, you know, at home in Charlottesville. Uh, I like Virginia to, to win this one with the points. All right, next one is Maryland, minus 6.5 at Ohio State. I like Ohio State in this one. I know they've struggled. 
Uh, obviously, they've lost three games in the past few weeks here, including uh, an embarrassing loss to Rutgers. Not that it was bad, but you shouldn't lose to Rutgers, uh, even even at Rutgers. Uh, I think that's a lot of points for Ohio State at home, six and a half points. Uh, I think they're going to start to turn it around. I think this is a wake-up call for this Buckeyes team falling out of the rankings this week. Uh, I, I don't see them losing by you know seven-plus points, so uh, give me Ohio State with the points. You know, if this was a Vegas line, I'd pick Maryland because I would say those folks in Vegas know something I don't. This You're is not, not a Vegas line. This is a Kevin McClernand line pulling it out of his rear end. So I think that's a bad line, and I think Ohio State is going to cover that enormous spread. You're not convinced K-Mac knows something you don't no, know? No, no. I don't think he knows anything I don't know. We'll Love you, out. Kev. Can't wait to have you back. <laughs> uh, so the last one is Kentucky at Auburn. Again, this one I know is a Kevin McClernand line because I don't even think he can have a, a .5 line, but he yeah. gave Auburn a minus .5. That can't happen. No game's going to end in a tie. This isn't the NFL. It certainly sounds like a K-Mac line, especially so for a game on Saturday. So let's go with a pick em, huh? All what right. do you say? I like it. I like it. Um, so obviously looking at this game as a straight-up game, I-, I see a little separation between these two teams. Uh, you know, Auburn just had a bad loss to Mississippi on the road. Uh, you know, Kentucky has had their struggles as well. Uh, I think both of these teams play much, much better at home, so I'm going to take Auburn at home in this one. Good pick. I like that pick. I'm going to go the other way, though. I think Kentucky wins this one, starts to to get better, um, get right, and I'm not as convinced against Auburn. Plus, they burned me once earlier in the pick Once you go against Bob, you never come back. So, with that wonderful logic in mind, I probably only have about 15 teams left that I can pick across all of college basketball. So you know who you are. Don't let me down. <laughs> I like it. I feel the same way. I have a couple of teams. I rode Auburn last year. They gave me a lot of success. Uh, so I'm sticking with them again this year until they show me otherwise. <laughs> okay. There you have it. So we'll have uh, the updated on the updated standings up next week. Um, Kevin McLernan falling asleep on the job. Love having him on. He is such yeah. an easy – actually, when he's not on, he's an easier target. But. I, I think we promise standings just about every week so we far do. and have not delivered once. We do. Absolutely. <laughs> we are consistent in our inconsistency. But we appreciate everybody being with us. It was a good show here tonight. That first segment just flew. And I think that's kind of the right discussion to have on a night like tonight, where this team is, how the look and feel is different, and how the roles are changing. Yeah, and especially with the holidays, unfortunately, we didn't get to the show for a couple of weeks. So, you know, with about three weeks of difference, we saw a lot of changes in this team, and more so than most years because we came into this year with so many undefined roles. So uh, really great to see this Villanova team starting to find their roles. Uh, and it was a great, quick, you know, 40 minutes or so that we were just talking about how this team is playing and how everything has changed and, you know, how they are looking better as they move forward in the season. And, uh, yeah, I think this was a great show, Bob. Good stuff. Appreciate you being here. Absolutely. Anytime. Love being here. This is the Villanova basketball report live here on BLS. Appreciate everybody being with us. Thanks Kevin for being with me as always here and, uh, enjoy the basketball. It will be a Friday night tip at the Wells Fargo center Villanova against Xavier That is a great rivalry. No Chris Mack this time around for the Musketeers. 
That should be a fun one, a great way to spend a Friday evening. For us, we'll be back on Monday night of next week, and we will have an opportunity to speak with Derek Gerberich of Stathouse Analytics on the eve of the Villanova versus Butler game. Another great rivalry. He'll tell us all about his new business venture in the analytics space of college basketball, how that's going. And then he's going to do a little bit of show and tell as well. Really looking forward to that. Really looking forward to have everybody back next week. And we will see you uh, soon, everybody. Enjoy the basketball and go Cats. Take care.